Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Boxing One Podcast. Welcome back. What's up, C-Lass? Back. Back like a vertebrae. <laughs> C-Lass, already starting out with the bars, man. What's up? Sports, culture, theology, all through the lens of the gospel. That is our heart. That's our passion. So we'll always cover at least two or three of those topics on the podcast and we will not disappoint this go round because we're going to start out with a sports category that both of us love which is the nba and the playoffs are upon us we apologize we miss march madness bro we miss white dante lighted up in the championship he was balling white dante that we can invite to the picnic <laughs> <laughs> he lit it up but we're about to enter a season that is kind of both of our favorite seasons, right? We we love the NBA playoffs. Absolutely love them. And this year seems to be a lot of intriguing storylines. And we'll probably get into some of them over the next several weeks. But here's one that we want to unpack tonight together, man. And I want to know your response to this question, okay? Because we both know James Harden's a great player. MVP caliber. We know he's probably going to get it this year. There's a couple of other candidates, but he's been balling, even with Chris Paul in the fold, okay? But we also know playoff James Harden. Your boy, playoff James Harden, which my Spurs beat last year, right? So the question is, is this the year with Chris Paul, your namesake, in the fold? Is this the year that James Harden gets it done in the playoffs and holds up that Larry O'Brien trophy. What up, man? What you think? So first off, I don't want to sound like a James Harden hater. I love watching him ball. I love his first step. Uh, Jay Rich, you could not get me to put any amount of money that mattered to me or my family in the Rockets postseason chances just because I, something is about all three of the like the people. When you think of the Rockets, the faces that come to your mind, Chris Paul, James Harden, and D'Antoni, like all three of them are known for their playoff mishaps. The funny thing is Chris Paul balls out in the playoffs and just always seems like he's two points away and on the losing side of that stuff so much. And then uh, D'Antoni... He just seems like a great overachiever in the regular season that hasn't had a, the same type of success in the playoffs. And last year, the enduring image of the Rockets' playoff season is Harden getting his shot blocked. And it just literally was this symbolic picture of him running out of gas. Like, I've carried this team all year. We've had this great season, but I have nothing left to give. And Manu just, I mean, he doesn't just tip the shot. It's like he just snatched <laughs> Annihilated that Annihilated it. 39-year-old Manu to, to and be. And so that's why I still can't trust these Rockets. I'm looking at the playoff picture, and I'm thinking Golden State looks injured and vulnerable to me. But I still am not ready to trust. I think he's earned the MVP for the regular season. I wouldn't have cried if he won the MVP last year, even though I think Russ rightly deserved it. Harden's bought out the last two years, but I still don't know if that's going to translate to playoff success because it just seems like such a big obstacle for him. When you have two teams or two players in Harden and Paul who have never made it to the 
NBA Finals. Have they made it to the Western Conference Finals? I think Houston did one year, didn't they? I think or Harden has. Harden has, but dude, that was a forgettable series, obviously, because they didn't make it to the finals. But when you have these two players who who've been on good teams, I mean, Paul had Blake, even though playoff Blake is playoff Blake, right? Uh, and Harden had a pretty decent team. Neither one of them have actually made any noise to make it to the NBA Finals. So I can't. I'm just like you, man. I'm not putting any any money on them. If I have anything invested or saved up to put money on any team in this thing, it's not going to be the Rockets. They might even be below the Utah Jazz. I'm trusting Donovan, my boy Donovan, way more than I am James. I can't, I can't quite say that yet. <laughs> He got to go on that unproven side too, right? Yeah, he does, man. He does. But they have a good young team. That's an upstart team. And I don't want to see them in the playoffs for sure. There's a lot of those teams in, in the playoffs this year. We'll talk about some of them, right? Philadelphia is one of those squads, man, uh, with Ben Simmons and Donovan Mitchell kind of going head-to-head for this rookie of the year. So uh, it's going to be a great postseason, I think, man. And at some point, we do have to talk about the Spurs and the drama. I, I can't believe I'm saying that uh, surrounding my squad. But talking about Harden in this episode, man, no, they're they're not. They might make it out of the second round. They might make it to the Western Conference Finals. It just depends on I, I don't, who they draw. I, I don't think we're going to see Warriors-Cavs again. And I have Warriors-Cavs fatigue. I don't want to see that again. I'm done with it. Like, the storylines played out. It was great. They played three times. I do not want to see a fourth. So I'm kind of hoping that I'm wrong about the Rockets, but I just can't. I can't believe it till I see it. You're that dude who who got tired of the Bills making it to the Super Bowl. <laughs> I did very quickly taking all those uh, L's. You don't have you don't have Cavs Warrior fatigue. Ah, uh, to some degree, yeah, man. I mean, I'm tired of seeing. I never get tired of seeing the Warriors because they just they're just a good ball team. I mean, they have some issues this year, right? But I'm tired of seeing LeBron's calves because you know what LeBron's going to do. But you never know what guys like Love and your boy your boy Smith are going to do. Like, you never know what's <laughs> going to happen with those guys. So I'm tired of seeing the one-man show for sure. Like, I'd like to see a team get there. I was hoping it was going to be the Celtics the first game of the season. I was like, wow, they got a pretty good team. And then Hayward goes down, and now your boy Kyrie goes down. Uh, Brad Stevens is a great coach. I know you love him, but mm, not going to happen either, bro. So I don't know who I want to come out of the East, but I'm I'm kind of fatigued of the Cavs too, for sure. Tired of them. <laughs> Tired of them. Hey man, listen, okay. I'm I need I need your feedback on this, okay. And this is something that me and you have kind of talked about via text message. Black Jeopardy happened this past weekend, right? On Saturday Night Live. So did Cardi B. We don't want to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> but Chadwick, Chadwick Bozeman was a guest on there who was, if you have not been living under a rock, Black Panther, which uh, we missed too, man. That's one of the big things we missed in February was Black Panther, which recently just passed Titanic as the highest grossing film of all time at the box office. I think it's like $1.3 billion, bro, worldwide. That's crazy. Nuts. But Saturday, Chadwick Bozeman was on Saturday Night Live, and they did a Black Jeopardy episode, which my previous favorite was the Tom Hanks one. 
It was awesome, hilarious. But Chadwick showed up, and oh my goodness, I could not stop laughing. It was hilarious. If you haven't seen it, just Google it. It's a great episode. But this brought up this part of the conversation, okay? Because I texted you and I said, man, I'm not sure that I want all of our business, our being African-Americans business out in the streets. Uh, people knowing all of our business, because there were some categories up there that were kind of insider categories, things that we say that people like white Dante that we invite to, <laughs> to the picnic can't necessarily say, okay. But there were some inside jokes that people were laughing at. I'm like, I'm not sure if I want people laughing at my pain. Like I'm fed up with black Twitter, giving people all of our insider secrets. So my question is to you, man, look, are you okay with stuff like this, like this, and they'll skit? Like we both laughed at it; it was hilarious. But in retrospect, is that something that we can we can handle, and especially in our current culture? So let me ask you a follow up question, then I'll answer. Was it more of the fact that they saw it in a humorous way, or the fact that they saw it? Period. I think, I think it's the fact that they saw it in a humorous way, um, because I mean, it's it's a comedy skit; it's a comedy show. And, uh, you know, we've seen this before in times past with the, the Chappelle show, right? Like Chappelle was a whole lot more. He was popular with the non African-American audience, the Anglo audience. And he made fun of us <laughs> making insider jokes. So I think it's probably the way it was done on, on SNL uh, and hearing the audience laughter. I knew it was not a predominantly African-American audience. But they knew the Were they joke. laughing with you or at you, Jay Rich? That's the question, man. That is the ultimate question. Are they laughing so, with you or at you? I don't know. So here, here's what I think I saw. I think what I saw is them actually trying to make a point out of it if you dig deeper. And I'm the type of person that probably digs deeper than things meant like have were supposed to be. But they have this skit that they run perpetually, right? And they bring in Wakanda so that we can reflect and see how far we are from the ideal. And so we look at things like the police brutality. That seems actually really powerful if you stop and think about he answers like, hey, in a perfect world, like, of course, if something happened, like you would be able to trust the officer and even assist the officer as you can. And the and the host just looks dumbfounded like, yeah, I guess if the world was perfect. But here's like where, where you live, are. bro. <laughs> right and i know like that's something that's been a part of like our story is like the cable bill and grandma's name right but i've also worked as a youth mentor so when i'm trying to help kids get their feet off the ground and then they run in something and it says like oh your credit's messed up they're like what are you talking about i'm 18 i'm just now starting hmm. and it's like well it says you have this it says you have a you says you owe a, the phone company uh, $4,000 from a non-paid bill and you're like oh what does that happen and so it's putting them behind so I'm with you and like uh, is everything to be laughed at but I think what they were trying to do is juxtapose those two things so we could see them side by side how far we've strayed from the ideal using humor to do it but I I'm like you I kind of left like saying parts of it were maybe funny but also left mixed like is this going to be a laugh with us or laugh at us? Thing? But, you so. know, it's really interesting. It's interesting that T'Challa's idealism at the end became realism really fast over the span of like three minutes. 
<laughs> when he got being, threatened with the potato salad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being immersed in our culture for that long, he understood the reality as opposed to the idealistic culture of Wakanda, which is really interesting. Um, so, you know, definitely some social commentary there, but I think we both can kind of agree like, oh, man. <laughs> so you cringe a little bit, but then you laugh and you're like, man, I want to be able to laugh at this. Like we got to be able to. And that's what we've always done. Right. We, we've been able to laugh through the pain, um, be able to deal with stuff like uh, some of the things that are happening culturally. Yeah, I thought it was just like it was a good starting point for me to just think more critically. So I guess for me, it wasn't so much about the humor is just like seeing how far we navigate from the ideal. So that was that was actually more introspective to me than humorous. So last week, both of us were kind of tuned into the MLK 50 conference in Memphis via the live stream. And we heard a ton of great speakers just talk to and speak about kind of the cultural moment that we were just talking about. Yeah, so we made a list. We were just shooting text messages back and forth we said hey what would be five things would be encouraging whether it's a person who's just been an ally to black christians and said like hey when they're standing for justice they're not abandoning the gospel or if you've just been a christian say hey i'm clinging to the cross but i'm noticing these injustices and the gospel has to be able to speak to these and as you dialogue and you have these conversations you're growing weary like what are five things you can do in the midst of your weariness and I, 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 was, I was just thinking of God when he was talking to Elijah. Elijah's like, man, I'm the only one left. Like, no one else is standing with you on this. Like, I'm isolated. I can't do this anymore alone. And God said, you're not the only one. There's 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee. And so I just take that as a great encouragement is, remember, as you grieve, man, I felt a lot of pain because I was like, my hope is, hey, together for the gospel, they'll automatically get the theological accreditation like people will go in and say all right these are people we know are clinging to the gospel and the exact opposite happened they were like oh like they've abandoned the gospel i was like you know these people you know they haven't abandoned the gospel but they weren't given the benefit of the doubt in that situation i felt weary but then i saw articles by people like paul tripp and i saw uh, eric mason uh tweet about it i saw trilla newbill had some really um powerful things to say in the midst of that and I was like man I'm not alone in my weariness there's other people who have noticed like from a biblical position um that there we're not alone there are 7000 out there who are seeing what I'm seeing so yeah that and felt, that's the great felt comforting and that's the great thing about this conference because people were able to kind of see hey I'm not alone in this like I'm not crazy in thinking that this is an important issue that this is a gospel issue and to see people kind of come around that issue and, and speak into that uh, was definitely life-giving. So uh, first thing is, hey, remember when you feel like you're the only one that God has that 7,000, um, as with the story of Elijah, that are just like you, uh, that have not bowed their knee to uh, what the culture wants to say about this particular issue. Um, I would also say, second thing is, uh, we should put down our keyboards and smartphones sometimes. And pick up forks and knives and spoons. And, and that just simply means, hey, keep your table 
diverse to keep this issue in front of you. Both of us are really involved in reconciliation and how we might be able to do that. And it starts with table. It starts with doing that, uh, sitting down with others in a physical space and fleshing these details out. Because once you move yourself from behind the keyboard, from behind your smartphone and, and making comments, then you understand someone else's perspective, then you're able to kind of have a face-to-face -face conversation with somebody that you might be typing or pecking keys back and forth with. So I think it's super important for us, if we're, if we're involved in this type of work, is to actually sit down with folks that you actually disagree with. Yeah, that's good. Uh, my, my next point is kind of hopefully balances out your point, even though I think your point is good and it stands by itself. Like, I can't do that for everyone. Like, I can't make everyone see this. I'm not God. I can't just mm. remove the scales of injustice. I can't make them fall off every set of eyes. And so one of the things God told Elijah was like, hey, you need, you need to grab something to eat and you need to rest. That actually would probably be like a great Snickers commercial, right? Like Elijah's like, yo, I'm done. I'm tapped out, B. He and turned into very like, white. <laughs> nah, fam. You just actually what you needed. You need a Snickers and you need to take a nap, fam. Because uh, you wildin'. But the idea is like, hey, you need to do some things that are going to emotionally restore you and make sure like you're emotionally healthy. And then at the end of the day, you're going to say, this is this is bigger than me. This is something God is going to have to work out and um, not take on this Messiah complex that it's on us to make every single person who disagrees with us. And I think that was kind of the heart of Eric Mason's point was like, look, um, I'll have this conversation with anybody who's willing to enter into it as a learner. But if you're willfully ignorant here, like it's not going to be my responsibility to open every set of eyes to an issue that people are willfully ignorant on. And I think that's freeing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's super important, man. You got to, got to be able to tend to your own emotional well, well-being. And I like what you said, like, Hey, uh, God is the one who doesn't sleep or slumber. That's not a communicable attribute, big theological word, right? He can't, we can't take on that attribute. Like we actually need to be able to take that rest um, sometimes. And sometimes you got to step back and do that. So that's great, man. Uh, my other thing would be to, uh, to get out of your camp. Okay. Most of us, kind of tend to be in camps when it comes to certain issues. And we, we tend to read narrowly, right? We, we read people who agree with us. Um, and I'm more of the opinion that, hey, if you're going to put yourself into this work and dive into this work and, and think through not being weary in this work, then you need to be able to read more widely and think about other people's perspective. Try to understand their perspective. Have one of those. You remember when Jesus had to go through Samaria? Um, this is a moment where where he has to go and and directly confront an issue with a woman who is uh, an enemy, so to speak. Um, but Scripture says that he had to go there. So so I think that one of the things that I try to do, and I saw this today, even today as I was scrolling through my newsfeed, that the BD actually posted an article that disagreed with his perspective on this issue on racism being sent and they did it gracefully um them being able to have that conversation but he did that 
to show that, hey, you need to be able to get outside of your camp and understand what other people's perspective is, especially when it comes to this issue. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and one of the things I, I tend to end up in spaces that typically theologically lean reformed. Um, that's not a hill I'd be willing to die on personally. It just seems that way a lot. And intentionally, when I was at my sister's house in Tampa visiting for Easter, I chose a church that wasn't um, hung up on theological events like that. And it was a good experience for us just to get outside of that camp, not for argument, but it's good to see that Christianity is bigger. That was that was a good reminder for my family. And um, the final point I would say, Jay Rich, is just because of social media, we also experience a lot more trauma um, because we are literally watching, uh, in a lot of cases, people die, like mm. people being murdered or shot by officers. And we're watching the replay over and over again. And I just saw Christian counselors warning people like, hey, when people experience this in real life, they usually go to counseling and get help. But we're just continually taking it in with no one to help us process the trauma that we're seeing. If that's something that's important to you, if you're keeping up with stories, you should have a plan for how you're gonna process the trauma once you experience, even though you weren't there, like even though you weren't really side by him, you weren't in the same danger as Alton Sterling in that situation or Philando Castile, like you're still watching murders happen. Like it's still having an impact on you and you should still be have a plan to process that trauma if you're going to continue to watch it. And that's just part of being emotionally healthy is just realizing what you're taking in and what you need to do to process it properly. Yeah, that's really good, man. Just thinking about thinking about it in terms of trauma. I think a lot of people don't do that because we've been desensitized, so to speak. But, but you I mean, how can you ever be desensitized to people losing their lives on camera? Um, and we have to be able to be able to process that. So, so yeah, just, just five things that we thought through that might help if you are a weary Christian. Okay. And I think those five are kind of a good start. Um, obviously there are more, but those are things that we kind of process, uh, together collectively, me and Chris. Wow, man, Chris, it's really good to be back, man. On episode number 53, I am going to ask you what you've been reading for the past couple of months, okay? We've been all for a few months. So I know you got one good book that you can commend to our readers for sure. So uh, for Black History Month, I was reading um, heavily into The Faithful Preacher by Tabidi Anyabawale. It's a book that's been on my shelf for a while mm. and it just seemed like the right time to read it. And it's just biographies of three men. Um, just... Uh, fascinating men, interesting stories who faithfully shepherded God's people in the past. It was, it's been a great read. So that's been something that I would um, commend to my white brothers and sisters in Christ to learn more about the history of African-Americans and their contributions to Christianity in America. And I would commend it to my African-American brothers and sisters, really anybody. It's a great book. It's a fascinating read. It's encouraging. It will It'll make you just want to, it just has encouraged me to say like, hey, what kind of what kind of legacy do I want to leave for the gospel 
in my lifetime. So um, I read last month as part of Black History Month, uh, a book by Kelly Douglas Brown, who I'm not really the biggest fan of when it comes to liberation theology, um, but, and, and I, I do like some components of it, but not all of them. So, so Kelly Brown Douglas uh, wrote Stand Your Ground, Black Bodies and the Justice of God, where she kind of walks through not just the narrative of Trayvon Martin, but the narrative of our nation uh, when it comes to um, Anglo-Saxon identity and some of the ideologies that go behind some of the laws that were put into place um, that that essentially celebrate this whiteness that we um, we talk about when we talk about white privilege. So uh, it helped to put some historical context behind it because it goes all the way back to Anglo-Saxon Europe um, and dealing with some of that stuff. So definitely a good read um, and definitely would commend it to anyone who is thinking through issues like this and how um, certain things may have impacted the Black community disproportionately, like Black codes and Jim Crow laws and things like that. So I uh, really enjoyed it. It was a sad read just remembering the uh, Trayvon Martin situation, but at the same time, uh, it was encouraging to see that uh, that the Black struggle uh, is still part of the gospel story, for sure. Yeah, that sounds like a crazy book, man. I'd be interested to read that. One day I'm going to just come raid your library, man. That's got to <laughs> happen at some point. got to happen. Oh, man. All right, bro. Uh, closing shout outs. What you got this week? Uh, closing shout outs, man. So it's been a minute. I was away taking care of some things in that process, man. One of my old campus ministry kids uh, was kind of thrust into the position of taking our high school basketball coaching position and took the team to the state championship game where they lost um, to a really good Gate City team with a kid named Mac McClung, who's kind of been viral all year. But um, he handled the situation with dignity and grace. T Mac was uh, one of my Young Life kids forever, Was had the interim tag removed. He's now the uh, first African-American high school basketball coach in my high school's history. Um, and so shout out to Team Mac, the real Team Mac. Terrell wow, wow. Shout out to Team Mac. I didn't even know there was a real Team Mac down that way, man. That's yes. good, though, man. That's great, man. Making some history there with that uh, that position as well. So uh, since you started talking about uh, the boy McClung, right? Is it Matt McClung, right? Yep. I'm going to give a shout out to all the new white chocolates, man. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew they existed? <laughs> McClung's, knew going, they existed. McClung's going to Georgetown next year. I had someone actually talk with me about him the other day at work. And I was like, this is the guy that Chris was telling me about. I can't believe we're talking about it in Chicago. What is that all about? So uh, him, Dante, others, man, they, they definitely are showing that they are going to make an impact in the game of college basketball and potentially at the pro level. So right. shout out to the new white chocolates, man. I miss I miss Jason Williams, but I'm sure he got some folks that are going to be following in his, in his footsteps. Listen, man, we could take this and make this a gospel issue if we talk about what happens if you if you intentionally don't include diversity. You might Come miss through. out on some Mac McClungs. Come so, on now. You out there, you better be looking to make sure uh, we are taking the best and we are not just searching for people that look like us. 
and that has some gospel ramifications, I'm sure. So, Reverend Chris out here giving a short homily here, man. I'm about to take up an offering. Nah, what you need to do is plant a church in VA, and then I will uh, <laughs> come be a deacon. Oh so, man, whatever, whatever, Rev. I got you. I got you. <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna be a reverend. I think I'm gonna be a deacon or something. So uh, I'm a I'm more of a churchman than a pastor. I'm not getting up every Sunday. Uh, so. I got you, bro. I got you, man. It's good to be back, man. Glad to have you Feels back. Great to be back. We will be seeing you guys next go round. So thank you guys for joining us. Make sure you go follow us on Twitter at Boxing One Podcast. Check out our Facebook page at Boxing One Podcast. Also the website, BoxingOnePodcast.com. All of the episodes are on there. If you need to catch up, go ahead and do it because we are back. Not like Mace, but we're back. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit of shade there. All right, grace and peace to you all. Peace.